0: How's it going, everyone? This is Jason Navarro. You're listening to Tongues Out Podcast. And let's just jump right into today's subject, which um, has no direct relation to the last couple days, but something I I did want to talk about because its uh, I've always been uh, interested in the future of travel. Like essentially, like what in the next 5, 10, 15 years, how are we going to get from a long distance destination a to long distance destination b um and so this doesn't necessarily have to do with your local commute which i mean in and in itself is changing as well as technology improves uh for instance like self-driving technology is supposed to be like the big push for the next like 20 years um but what i'm more excited about is the long distance stuff and so there's different technologies that are going to be rolling out for instance like here in las vegas the hyperloop system uh the technology that elon musk proposed I, i want to say it was like six years ago now five years ago um just uh it's almost finished being built or i think it's already finished being built but it hasn't rolled out yet because there hasn't been any conventions here in las vegas but essentially the the mechanics of how it works is um during massive conventions here in las vegas traffic can be really bad and so to circumvent that elon musk came up with the idea of essentially you would go park your car in a garage and then you would go to like a destination you would enter another vehicle uh in this case a tesla and then what would happen is that this car would be dropped down by elevator down a tube and then accelerated at a super high rate of speed. I want to say like 100 miles plus, 100 miles per hour plus um, to the next destination. But since there's absolutely no traffic, uh, you get to where you need to go in seconds compared to having to deal with the traffic in that small little radius of an area. Because it can get bad. it, It would take normally, like let's say during CES, which is the largest convention here in Las Vegas, to get like to go one mile in a five mile radius around that convention area would take you a considerable amount of time, anywhere between thirty to forty five minutes. Um, and so, being able to cut that time in, in, you know, to thirty seconds, you could easily transport a ton of people in that same amount of time and reduce traffic as well, which would kind of uh, um, balance itself out essentially. Uh, and so. Uh, convention traffic is like super excited about that just because it could potentially mean more people coming to the area and, and exposing themselves to the convention centers, or it could just help with just the logistics for entrepreneurs and, and getting from one area to the next. And so um that's super exciting. And, and essentially that can be uh scaled. So it doesn't necessarily need to be such a small confine because I think the distance that it's traveling is, nowhere more than than I think half a mile. It's only going from one convention building to the next, but I think they're planning on expanding it and they're trying to kind of make it so that it goes underneath some of the more major hotels uh, near the Las Vegas strip near the convention center, which would be pretty amazing because it would essentially take a half mile um, section and increase it by like almost like three miles, uh, which would be phenomenal, but they need to first demo this out and, we really haven't seen like huge convention traffic just yet, but it's it's going to happen sometime soon. Uh, so that's one system. But the one that I specifically want to talk about today is supersonic travel. And one of the things that I was so sad to learn that um, uh, it, it had disappeared, like it existed when I was a, a very young person. And before I was born, this technology existed. But the Concorde was always a fascinating aircraft to me. And growing up in a, in a household where uh, avionics was um, very popular in our family, uh, I, I was always impressed by that technology and how it was pretty awesome that people back in the day, especially well, having a ton of money, could go from New York City to France in the matter of three hours compared to the typical 12 hours it would take or 10 hours that it would take to get there on a traditional commercial jet. And so you would pay a skyrocketing amount of money for a less comfortable but faster ride to where you needed to go. But they uh, discontinued a program because one, it wasn't super profitable. It was profitable, but not to a degree that justified going against. And at the, at that time, same time period, when the Concorde program ended first class was starting to become a, a, like a, a thing that a lot of commercial airlines were starting to roll out where They remodeled the front of the aircraft to kind of accommodate a smaller group of people that would be willing to pay a premium for comfortability because that's one of the things that the Concorde was lacking. And uh, so the Concorde was, it was hard to compete against that. But like I said, they were still profitable, but they weren't entirely sure if that was going to be still the case. And then uh, I think, I believe it was a year prior to the Concorde essentially ending its services was uh, the fact that and the first time in it's, I think, like 20-year history or 15-year history, uh, it had a terrible plane crash, not due to its own mechanical issues. It was essentially a previous commercial jet that had taken off lost, I think, a landing gear or something like that, something like a heavy metal object that was still on the airstrip. And so when the Concorde flew or was about to take off, its, it's uh, scramjets that it used to kind of go f- at supersonic speeds had absorbed this metal object and essentially had destroyed one of the engines during takeoff and um, caused the concords to not have enough lift to kind of get up for takeoff before stalling and crashing not too far from the airport. And so that under the public domain, even neglecting to think of just how safe those aircraft were. Uh, and on top of that, having to compete against first class kind of just caused them to shut the doors. And then, it wasn't really feasible because the Concorde could only go one specific route because a lot of people don't notice, but for an aircraft that goes supersonic, it legally is not allowed to do that over any land. And most countries in the world do not allow supersonic travel over land. And it's because when you break the sound barrier, it, it really can be heard from anywhere within the vicinity of like, and I'll, when I say vicinity, I'm talking about like, Thousands of miles in the air, you could still hear it on the ground level if you're directly below it because it just the amount of force required to break the sound pair is is tremendous, especially an aircraft that size. It definitely can um, can be heard all across uh, the land, and so that's a high level of risk, especially if you're talking about frequent travel over land like the Concord was doing on its daily routes to France or to New York. uh, You could blow out eardrums. You could destroy um, like windows, very sensitive buildings. And so it wasn't, it just wasn't feasible long-term. There wasn't that many destinations people would need to travel that was going over one over a single ocean system. But in very recent times, there's been um, renewed focus in supersonic travel just because uh, technology has become more modern, conveniences can be more um, downsized and and fit a smaller uh, plane portfolio, like um, layout, essentially, and um, the technology is improving to such a degree that in conjunction with, uh, I believe, NASA and other organizations, these Uh, There's three new companies that are essentially trying to take supersonic travel and reduce that big boom that you would hear during a supersonic, um, like whenever you would go supersonic, essentially take that sound and reduce it to the sound of just like the the sound of a door shutting. And so it's a lot more easier for people to cope with that that are living underneath a, a, a travel route where... For a split second, they're hearing a sound that sounds like the door shutting. uh, If you were to be standing outside, like on a car door, and so they're getting to this point, and it's relatively new technology, but they haven't been able to commercialize it yet. They're still kind of prototyping it and everything that nature. The most popular organization, so uh, uh, organization called Boom, that they're heavily investing in the idea of investing into this technology because they they feel like domestic travel is the way to go. If you're able to shorten the length of travel, let's say from California to New York, from four and a half hours to just 30 minutes, you could essentially, I mean, you could transport a ton of people in that time period and still maintain a cheaper ticket cost than the Concorde ever had. Because the Concorde, I think, uh, accounting for inflation the cheapest ticket you could get was about like $5,000, which is really expensive. That's the equivalent of like first class domestic and half the cost of international first class, uh, or the same cost of a, of a business class international. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, and, and then the, the, the fact that the, this technology could even potentially exist gets me super excited because I would love to travel at, um, you know, supersonic, you know, just to go break the sound barrier in an aircraft. You don't feel it; the people inside the aircraft do not feel it, but they kind of do in a sense that they're getting to a destination super fast. And I would be super amazed by that. Um, but unfortunately, recently, uh, I think today or yesterday, one of the three companies that was spearheading this new. Uh, rejuvenation of this industry had to close its doors due to a lacking of investment because they were relying heavily on Boeing and Boeing, unfortunately had to um, curtail a lot of its investments that it was doing a because of the pandemic and B because of its uh, 737 max situation, the two aircraft that crash landed into the water um, because of software issues. And so because of that, Boeing had to cut back a lot on its spending, and that affected this company that relied heavily on Boeing to be investing in this technology, which is sad because that leaves really only two other companies. And the the way it works is you want more competition to exist out there because if it does, then it reduces the cost of that technology when it finally becomes live. Um, so it was sad to see that news, but still I, I was definitely um, more... Uh, focused on boom they've just become they've been an organization that's kind of been i think recently they they downsize, downsized their like their production unit to the size of like one-tenth its size and that prototype essentially was able to do what it needed to do and so when you scale something in this field it generally is supposed to maintain the same level of integrity And so it's super exciting. I think next year the plan is that they're going to be um, creating a prototype that's like a one-to-one scale, seeing how that works. And then if it does work, you know, roll it out and and start charging people and and start getting like flight plans and, and getting it approved through the FAA, which they would, of course, have to approve it. And so I think NTSB would have to approve it as well. Uh, these are like the regulatory agencies like FAA manages aerospace and NTSB just manages everything to do with uh, transportation in America. If they can get that approved and also approved by, uh, you know, X amount of States because they would obviously be traveling over a multitude of different States. So they would have to also abide by those state laws. Then um, you know, they have a lot to jump over. I think it's the hardest thing for these companies isn't so much the technology, Than the regulation because things move very slow in aviation when it comes to regulatory bodies but if they can overcome those obstacles hopefully sometime in the the next 10 years i would be able to to travel supersonic and i would easily save up money for a year just to to do that Uh, the same thing with space travel i cannot wait for space travel to occur um i don't know if there's a uh a viability for tourism with that, but I would be willing to save up a considerable amount of money just to, to be able to go to space and see it. I have to, before I die, I have to see space with my own eyes. Like it's not going to be the same if I were to pass away and someone sends my ashes to space. Like I have to see it. It's always been something that I've always been amazed by, but it's just exciting to see that in my lifetime, as long as I don't die in the next 20 years, there's going to be some really exciting stuff when it comes to trans, uh, transportation, especially if our government starts getting into investing into infrastructure now that, I mean, it's just super awesome to think about. But either way, thank you guys as always for listening to today's podcast, and I will catch you guys mañana. Peace.